0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in, and welcome to our new studio. This is amazing. We've got cameras now. We got uh, obviously microphones and uh, this this beautiful living room setting. And so, uh, and I'm grateful to have one of my really good friends, Rob Eastman, join me today. He's been on the podcast a few times, and it's just gone viral with us. And you're the first one on this
1: new set. Well, I'm excited and I'm humbled and honored. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. And Rob is the current author of Warrior in the Garden. It's a story. It's it's a story about his life and what he's been through. And how cool is that that you're now an author I of know. your own
1: book? I know, I joke and I said, man, if my dad were here now, he'd be like, "What in the heck?" Anybody that hears Rob Eastman would never think author would be following that. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna take it. Yeah, well, you know,
0: you've been through a lot in your life, Rob, and uh, I can't—I mean, you're a walking miracle. I've heard your story a few times. I've also heard kind of the details that a lot of times you don't share, maybe even behind the scenes. And yeah. I'm just grateful to rub shoulders with you. I consider you a friend. Yes, and I admire all the good you're doing in this world. I Appreciate
1: that, you yeah. as well.
0: So, so Rob, you're you're also you're you're a wrestling coach. You're a life coach. You're a mentor. You do, you do um, courses, you, you coach kids, you coach adults, you coach parents on how to be better parents. I mean, you are a busy man. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so for me, when I got in recovery almost 14 years ago, my daughter was seven months old. I could barely take care of myself, let alone a little kid. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, that's when I started figuring out that fitness was my big thing and yeah. I needed to go do that more. It really started when my daughter started to crawl and then she started to walk, and I'm over there having cigarettes and getting mad at her for being <laughs> moving around. I'm like, look, I can be that dad or I can get in shape and be a fun dad. Mm. And so, through that experience, it really just showed me how to do hard things in a safe environment, yeah. you know, pushing my body to the limits, the lessons I could learn, which then. I was a terrible employee and I was a good athlete. So I just took what I learned in psychology and applied it at fitness and we're training people for free at the park. That's kind of how I got into coaching. Like I didn't choose to be a life coach. Like it chose me people, you know, my dad was a state Senator. My uncle's one of the 12 apostles. I had a different upbringing. So when I came out as an addict, kind of opened the doors for others to come so they started asking for help and i'm like man i need to back this with some psychology yeah so i just fell in love with that and really worked with adults for a long time and then i wanted to do the prevention piece and the problem with that is i have great leaps and bounds working with these kids but then over the summer they come back and they were right back where they were yeah right and it's like they'd get reindoctrinated in their broken home or whatever it right. is so working with the community and just kind of became the thing.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I know a lot of people know your story and we don't have to go into maybe all the details, but let's talk about that moment in your darkest moment. You're up on the hill behind the Bountiful Temple. Start from there. You're at the lowest point of your life. You've been through hell and back several times. You were done. You were done being here. Take us from that point of what happened
1: So I'd had multiple attempts before, a few days before that I went, I was fully committed to ending my life, went down got some heroin, shot eight balloons of heroin. Most people would have died. Yeah. I woke up the next morning and I'm like, is this hell? Do I have to keep waking up and it's groundhog day and I never get to escape this pain? It was only a few days later. um, My mom and dad came down and, and uh, my dad had written my obituary and made me read it and he said we know you're gonna die but you're not gonna do it in our basement you got to go so at that point i could have waved the white flag and asked for help but i don't know how but i still had some ego left (laughs) and uh i said all right i'll show you and i went and slept in my car for a few days downtown and just got to a point where i was like i can't do this anymore you know i had a seven-month-old daughter wife had left and uh just felt like I was doing everybody a favor and knew that everyone would be better off without me. So Mm -hmm. I went up at this point. The only way I could see my daughter is if my parents were there to supervise. And the only way I could get back into my parents' house is if it was to see my daughter. So I set that up with the intention of going in, telling everybody I love them, stealing a gun and going and finally ending this thing. And, uh, did all of that and went up and, in rehab, multiple places, they, they make you play the tape to the end, do yeah. a pros and cons list. And yeah. as I got up there, there's some benches. It's, it's called Sessions Trail. And there's some benches where you're just like eye level with Moroni on the mountain across. And I remember kneeling down, just bawling and putting the gun in my mouth and having these visions of my mom and my daughter. And for my daughter, it was easy. It was like, she'll never know me. I'll never embarrass her. I'll never let her down. Yeah. Any man could come into her life and do a better job than I could. I'm doing her a favor. Mm. And for my mom, you know, I grew up religious and just really had a bad experience as far as judgment and, mm. you know, not feeling a part of. Right. And so she was a real God loving woman, still is. And uh, I just remember thinking, you know what? I'm going to say a prayer to her God so that when he doesn't answer my prayer, when she dies, she can look him in the face and say, you failed me wow real spiteful yeah vengeful feeling and felt like he's never answered a prayer before and i would prayed a lot you know when you get in those dark places you pray for anything it's yeah. like take me leave me f- help me cure me i don't know what but something's got to happen yeah so i knelt down and said a prayer i said i don't know anything about a still small voice i'm going to need something a little bit louder than that <laughs> and if i don't get it by the time i open my eyes i'm pulling the trigger and uh it was august 31st 2009 and As I started opening my eyes and pulling the trigger, a firework display went off above the Bountiful Temple. And I was like, is this the sign? And shortly after that, I heard a voice and it said, is that loud enough? And I was so scared. I was so broken. I just laid there bawling in the dirt. I didn't know if somebody was standing behind me. I didn't know if I actually heard it, if it was inside of my body. And it took me probably 25 minutes to be able to regain even movement in my body and I got up. I knew that I couldn't deny what had just happened. Right. You know, I didn't know if I believed in God. I didn't know much of anything. You know, I knew I know the devil's real cuz I walked hand in hand with him for a long time and I knew that that voice I heard was not him. And uh went up, got back down to my car, drove home to my parents' house, gave my dad the gun, told him what I did, and I drove myself straight to the hospital. And that started my recovery journey. And
0: is that loud enough for you?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I can still remember every time I I tell that story, you know, there's those that are skeptical of anything outside of science or anything else. And I was right there with them, but I think he gave me just enough knowing I'm not that faithful guy Mm -hmm. that I need some experience in there. Yeah, I think he gave me just enough to know that I needed to make some changes.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and since then, if you will, you've been on fire. And, and what I mean, right, like the stuff you're doing in this world is amazing. And the the stuff you do with kids, I mean, talk a little bit about your, your work with the community and, and really making an impact and being a mentor to these people.
1: Yeah, I think it it really started, I think most people, maybe not, maybe just me, I don't know. I was pretty afraid and ashamed. And Terrified of anybody knowing all the stuff that I had done. Right. And I think that's where AA for me came into play. That My sponsor, the people at rehab, they forced me to share. They're like, dude, it's been like 18 meetings. You haven't said anything. And I remember starting off saying my name. Hi, Rob. I'm an alcoholic. And saying a couple words. I don't remember anything. And and then just saying, I'll take another 24. (laughs) And just like, what has happened? So scared. (laughs) So full of anxiety. Right. And then... Nobody looked at me funny and I'm just sitting there internalizing, getting all hot. And and then at the end of the meeting, somebody came up and was like, Hey, I really needed to hear that. And I was like, what did I say? (laughs) And then, so I started sharing and then I started getting good at sharing. You know, I'd have, I don't know if it was feeding my ego because people come up after or whatever. And then I got asked to go speak at a rehab and then I was bugging my buddy at KSL to, hey, let me come speak to your people. I'm killing it. And he got me in and there's like a hundred execs and it's studios or, you know, like movie theater style seating. Yeah. And I remember walking in and the news anchor was up there speaking. And I was just like, wait, this isn't a round table. They're not <laughs> sitting in chairs. Some of these people <laughs> might not be addicts. I got up there I had a 40 minute spot. <laughs> After 12 minutes he's prompting me from the back. Like I just straight blacked out. Like that fear, that anxiety oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. and I remember leaving that place going I am never sharing my story again. I'm going to really? I'm going to hide in a shell and then I got really good at playing, you know, you, the devil's always there but going questioning him.
0: Well, is it fair to say you were bullied as a young kid a yeah. lot? And it's almost like it put you back into that Like, not bullied, if you will, but it's like it's that same response, like the physiological part of, you know, you kind of cowering down.
1: Yeah. You know, just going back to that old thinking of like you're dumb, you're worthless, you're ugly, nobody cares. And I remember sitting in the car going, okay, if you give in to this, nothing will ever change. So secretly I went home and I started telling my story to myself in the mirror, Mm. looking at my body language, recording And when I was asked to go speak at a high school from one of my old coaches that he really didn't like me, I was a real pain in the butt in high school, but he knew my story and I came in and did a really good job. And I was like, you know what, if I can impress on these kids or the community and just kept speaking and it was like, I don't know if you're like this or not, but. I'll get a speaking gig and I'm pumped. And then on the way there, it's like, why did you do this again? I can't believe you did this. Turn the car around, call in sick and in the fear of it. And it's like, no, that's, that's the adversary. Like you need to do this.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you, Rob, I have that all the time. I mean, I've been doing this for 34 years. I've done thousands and thousands of speaking events. And I'm telling you, I had that same experience as I'm driving there. I'm going, why did I say yes to this? <laughs> who am I to yeah. say anything? And and I'll tell you, but it, usually when that happens, I end up having the best experience when I go speak. If that makes sense, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's it's funny how common that is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I started speaking, and then you know, just who we were in the in the community, I felt it important. Like for an instance, my dad was appointed the new DUI chairman, which is a big deal. Yeah. That night, I got a DUI. Oh, boy. So he had to step down. So it's like every law he's making, I'm breaking. I'm making the newspaper, embarrassing our family, embarrassing his name, which I don't think he cared as much about that as he did. He just didn't want me to hurt. Yeah, And so I felt it necessary. I, you know, you hear it a lot. Like, I can't get sober here. I need to move. I need to go. And it's like, nah, I need to stay. I need yeah. to put these fires out. So I started making mm-hmm. friends with the policeman that, Arrested me. I started getting involved in the programs to help the community understand mental health. Working with fire departments. All these different things of all the people I feared to see in society. I just got real big on exposure therapy. I'm doing all the things that I was afraid of. So,
0: think, you said something really powerful there. You went back to the people. The very cops that arrested you. I mean, and you just made, you just made a decision like, I'm going to make it good with them. I'm yeah. going to make it right.
1: I, the, that's that's amazing. The first experience was I was training people at Bountiful High in the morning, early. And there were some older guys, you know, like our age, or, but there was one a little bit older, and he kept staring at me, and I'm like, I know that guy from somewhere. And at the end, of, after I got done training with my clients, I went over there and I said, hey, do I know you? He's like, Eastman, I know who you are. <laughs> all, I'm Officer Ross. I oh, arrested wow. you a bunch in high school. <laughs> and in that moment, I like shrunk, and I was like... What? I'm years clean. Like, it doesn't matter. Like I need to talk to this guy, tell him, thank you for holding me accountable. And me and him, he was, he ended up being, he's the chief of police. So we worked on a lot of projects together and just, he kind of became a mentor to me and I found everybody's human. You know, he was doing his job. I was out burning the city down and it's like, (laughs) to be able to come back from that, And develop real relationships. Then I started going around to my doctors saying, hey, if I ever come in here, blacklist me. Like I started shut slamming doors and apologizing. Like my 20-year reunion, I think I spent probably 90% of it apologizing to (laughs) kids that I may have bullied because, you know, I got bullied. So the only way to fight back, I became the bully. You became the bully, yeah. And... Apologizing, And it's wow. crazy that 20 years later, how many people were like, you know what, you know how much that means to me? Wow. It's like, we don't know the pain we cause because we're just reacting or mm-hmm. protecting with bad coping skills. Right. So then it just became like, you know what? I need to clear this deal. I think it's, what is it? Billy Madison when he's got the kill list and he yeah. calls and he's got the lipstick and he takes him off. The, like I didn't want to be on anybody's kill list. You know, <laughs> Right. I, I, I created so much chaos that I wanted to be the light at the other side of that showing people yeah. that it, that it's possible. And for me, early was like saying sorry was like, that was not happening. I would just make it your fault somehow, Yeah. which I think they call gaslighting now. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> I had a gas uh, flamethrower, and yeah. it just came down to where I didn't want to have to be scared anymore. Right. I didn't want to hide. And that's... Well,
0: yeah, and what I'm hearing too, you, you just, here are my fears. I'm going to go face every single one of them. Yeah, and, and it, I-
1: it, was, it was pretty easy because... Well, it was made easier because growing up, like we had the nicest cars. My dad owned car dealerships. I had big Mm -hmm. Jeeps. We had pretty decent money. So that became my identity. And then right after I got out of rehab the last time, my wife left, the bank took everything I owned and my dad died. And at that point it was like, don't have the pretty wife. I don't have the cool stuff. And my dad who would pay for that when I couldn't is now gone. And so I had to refigure who am I without them. Yeah. And that really gave me no choice but to look in the mirror. And at the start, I didn't love what I saw. Didn't love how I felt. And so taking those action steps is really what pushed me to just really enjoy. I'm a bit of an extremist people would say, but I took a cage fight off of Facebook yeah, at 35 kinda, years old cuz I didn't want to live in fear anymore. You know, skydiving, rock climbing, just doing yeah. everything that I Dude, was afraid I, of.
0: I saw this uh, video of you. I think it was might have been yesterday or the day before. You're doing this tricep work, work, <laughs> workout with the with the bar, It look like you had 300 pounds on there. And you're just like, <clears throat> just nailing it. And then, and then I saw one where you're at the top of this slide at this pool, <laughs> and you <laughs> just jump house. off to the side and. <laughs> Anyway, I just, I, I love the way you live your life. You live it to the fullest now. You have energy. You love helping people. Like, the passion you have, man, it's infectious, dude. I, 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 you probably know that, but maybe, but I'm, like, you inspire me from a distance I mean, I know we're not, we don't hang every single day, but I see the stuff you're doing. And I promise you, you know, I got a cold plunge in my backyard. You want to know why? Because of you, dude. <laughs> seriously. I saw, I, I, saw, I saw Rob once. He's sitting in his backyard in this freaking trough <laughs> with ice up to here, and he's just just like not even moving. I'm like, how is that guy doing this? And you talked about the importance of doing hard things. Yeah. And I, honestly, Rob, seriously, I was like, I'm going to do what Rob's doing. It inspired me to go, I want to do hard things. Dude, I I cold plunged last night. It was amazing. It's like, I did it right before I went to bed. I'm like, and what it teaches me over and over and over again, I can do hard things.
1: Yeah, I think that's...
0: But I hope you know I see that in you.
1: I appreciate that. And it's like, you know, we try... Some people don't like all the posts. Some people don't. It's like, you got to live out loud, especially (laughs) in recovery. And if we don't tell our story, who's going to?
0: And you are loud, dude. But I love that, that's what makes you you, Rob. You're amazing. Like, I gotta share this and I share this a lot, but it really chokes me up when I, when I think about it. And you'll appreciate this. And this describes you perfectly. So I had a client uh, that came through our program here at Wasatch Recovery. And every now and then I'll have the client stand up and just share something that's on your heart today. Well, I don't care what it is. And this guy stands up, dude, and what he said changed my life. And I, I put it to my memory, and this actually describes Rob Eastman. Here's what he said: um, I tried to find myself, myself I could not see. I tried to find my God, my God eluded me. I tried to find my brother, I found, found all three. And that's you. Like think about it. And be, you went back. You're 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 repairing all the bridges you had burned. You're you're facing your fears. And now you're helping people left and right all the time. And in that process, if I'm not mistaken, you found yourself, you found your higher power and you found your brother, the ones that's struggling Fair? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I like that. That is you, dude. I like that. It was like, I think it started off where we want to correct our fails and losing my dad is like. I was real mad at God. If there was one, I knew if there was a heaven, my dad was definitely there. And if he was there, he was probably running the show anyways. (laughs) So I quit praying to God and I started praying to my dad. And a few, few months into that while praying, I just had this feeling overwhelming feeling like, okay, so they say that if this God our heavenly father, whatever you want to call him, loves us infinitely more than anybody that we could even understand. And that thought came to me, like, if he loves me even a quarter of what my dad does, I'm going to be just fine.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's when it all kind of, my ancestors, the creator, like, everybody that we've ever known is over there fighting for us, is how I like to see it. Yeah. Warriors on the other side. Yeah. And that's just one of those things, like, if, if I don't go out and speak, if I don't go out and share, I'm taking all of this, like... I got a PhD in what not to do. It almost cost me my life. Yeah. Your PhD, whoever the doctors out there, it may have cost them a million bucks. You know, they paid for that. We all paid for it just in different ways. Different ways yeah. It's like, why would I not go out and try and change somebody's life? Yeah. And I tell people, it's like, I would do this if I was homeless and I would do this if I was a billionaire, yeah. because it's not something yeah. I do. It's just inside of me. If I see somebody suffering, Really, really hard for me to say no it's like if I if I turn somebody down and I read about them in the paper tomorrow, I can't live with that, yeah, so I can't yeah. save the world. I had to learn the hard way a few times on yeah. that, yeah, but I can share and be vulnerable
0: well, and that's what's so beautiful about your book, Warrior in the Garden is that this is gonna allow you to expand your reach if you will, yeah, and help so many people. I, I wanna share something and then I wanna hear your thoughts on just uh, on the book and the title of it, yeah. especially. So I was taught a long time ago, because I've written a book too, and, and I'm kind of the same way. When my friends think you wrote a book, <laughs> like you didn't even read a book in high school. I know, right? Like I didn't even read a book. Anyway, so I was to- told by a, a, um, a very important person in my life that said, if you wanna leave a legacy See if you ask that question to your clients, even hey, how do you leave a legacy? They'll say, live a good life and treat people good. That's all good, but when we're dead and gone, that will be forgotten. Yeah. The only way we can leave a legacy is we if we write our story down. So this is you. So think about this: a hundred years from now, some kid after wrestling class, struggling, opens up his book, Warrior in the Garden. You you you've been dead and gone for a hundred years, but they're reading your words. And that book's going to change your life. That's how you leave a legacy. That's that. That's badass. Yeah. Right. So anyway, (laughs) tell us a little bit about the book as much as you can, because we want people to read it, obviously, get the book Um, and tell us why you titled it Warrior in the Garden. Yeah.
1: So back to what you said about leaving a legacy when my dad died, we didn't have any recordings of his voice. Like we kept his cell phone on for like two years so we could call it and listen to the voicemail. Yeah couple writings and things like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to write because that's too schooly, but I guess I can tell my story or that's why I started my podcast. Yeah. Cause I wanted my daughter to know who I was, hear my voice, know what I stood for. And then it just kept, you know, after every podcast or after every speech, like, do you have a book? Do you have a book? And I'm like, dude, I can barely write a sentence and you can't <laughs> read it. Even if I did, I got kicked out of type class. So I'm over there chicken pecking the keyboard. It's like, <laughs> this is just not happening. So, one day I was like, there's gotta be somebody who can write that, yeah. you know, I can tell the story, but I don't know how to do it. And, and I just jumped on it and, uh, talk about an experience. Like I thought I was healed. I thought I had worked through everything, but to go back and interview my ex-wives and their moms and people in my life and be in a place where I could hear their truth yeah. was so hard. so humbling Like I grew more, we went up to my condo for eight days and and did dictation and and all these things and interviewed people. And it was like to sit and listen to the pain I caused and the appreciation to allow them to share it, how they saw it without standing up for myself or anything else. And it was like, and then I remember getting half, I started reading like the 25th chapter or something. And, and in this book, I went all out like, there's no more to. No more to hide. Yeah. And I remember reading it and getting so scared and so insecure, like people are going to read this. And I remember her, my writer telling me, say, this isn't about you. This is for other people to help that help them change their life. It's like, if you're afraid, if you're still living in shame, you're not in recovery. If you can't tell your story, you're not past it. Right. And after that point, I just, it was easier for me just to go, go all in and, and, give everything and leave nothing and and in in the start of my book I, we talk about that like this is my story yeah don't get offended by me talking about religion or how i saw something happen or anything else because there's my truth there's your truth and then there's what actually happened yeah so i made sure yeah. to put a, discla- <laughs> a disclaimer disclaimer on that there, yeah but for me you know i told you I, I took a cage fight off of facebook at 35 years old right been in a, a lot still, of street fights never I'm lost still
0: blown away at that dude
1: and i wanted to go i was still angry and i wanted to go and hurt people and after the second fight um i started training with this with my his name's master will pace and he's a olympic taekwondo guy and i thought i was going to go in and start getting trained to be this deadly weapon but he taught me honor and Mm, discipline and patience and all of these things and it's like the Me or the deadlier I became in my martial art, the more calm I was in the real world because I wasn't having to operate out of fear anymore. And during that time, I saw a saying, it says the student asked the master, you teach me to fight, but you talk about peace. How do you reconcile the two? And the master replied, it is better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in a war. And I thought about that. And it's like, that's the only thing. That's the only thing we can do is be honest with our kids. Like hopefully these things don't happen to him, but prepare him for what's really coming. Teach him about boundaries, teach him about red flags, teach him about like, you don't drink. Like if you drink, this is what can happen. I hope you don't. And I'm here for you if you do, you know? And it's like, there's a real weird stigma I'm sure it's everywhere else, but here with a very strong religious stronghold and things like that. And I don't hold any angst against anybody, but living up to these expectations and being ashamed if you don't add up rather than just saying, Hey man, I, actually, I can learn from that. Yeah. And that was pile up. And so I've lived, you know, I've got all these sayings tattooed on me. It's better to stand and fight. If you run, you will only die tired. It's like, I spent my life running from my anxiety, from my depression, from being bullied, all these things that I didn't like about myself. I just stuffed with drugs and alcohol. And then eventually it didn't matter how intoxicated I was. I still hated myself. Yeah. I quit working. So there's two options at that point: take your life, or start facing things. So everything I do with a is with a warrior mentality. Like this arm is literally my armor, tattooed on, with the straps to remind me that I fight a battle every single day. And so when it came down to Dude, your finding art, the your
0: title, beautiful by the way. Thank you. Yeah, I love it.
1: To the title, it was just a simple like, that's what it needs to be. Yeah. You know, this book's about a little boy who got bullied and got protected rather than prepared and that didn't pan out well Yeah, and it's, there's the ups and downs and the fails and one thing that I you know people open up to me pretty quick Like kids that have gone to therapy for a year I get more out in five minutes parents are like how did you do that I'm like well look at me they know I'm not going to judge them well, you not know? only
0: that is yeah you they, they just automatically know well this guy's been through some stuff yeah I, I can listen to this guy because he gets yeah. it yeah so it's like yeah.
1: if I'm willing to go all in On all my deep, dark secrets, hopefully somebody will be a little more prepared to share the first one. Yeah. And then the next one. Yeah. And then the next one. And that's like, we all need to prepare for spiritually, mentally, physically. Yeah. Hopefully nothing bad happens, but unfortunately, a lot of bad things happen. And it's all how you handle those situations.
0: So say that phrase again it's better to be a warrior in the garden
1: than a gardener in a war.
0: Gardener in a war. Wow. What a, what a fitting title for you. Yeah, man. You, wow. Amazing.
1: And that just plays into, you know, whether I'm working with an adult, I'm always working with the inner child or I'm working with the child who's just coming up and seeing things for the first time. We're all in the same boat. Some people just fake it better. Yeah. It's like if, if I've, I've made a post today, it's like mental health is the one thing humans share in common is that we struggle. Yet it's the one thing that's so hard for everybody to talk about. It's like you break your arm. Guess what you do? You have people sign your cast. You're like, oh, can I sign that? It's like, but if you're struggling, you isolate. You don't tell anybody. And I want to change that. I want to scream from every stage, every podcast, every live, every everything in hopes that that catches on. Yeah. You know, that it becomes an easy conversation and that it's a lesson, not a life sentence. Right. And... We come together as a community. So I'm hoping this book... I read it multiple times and I cried and I laughed and it's my own story and, and everybody I've talked to who's read it says the same. So, well,
0: anyone who knows you will love this book. And so. those who don't know Rob, you're going to want to know Rob. So what's the best way for someone to get your book? Like if they want to go purchase this right now. Yeah,
1: so it'll be... The book launch is September twenty seventh. It'll be on Amazon. The digital copy first for a dollar ninety nine for the first twenty four hours. So that'll be the big push. We're we're yes. trying to help get the word out and and everything else. But that'll be it. And then the book, the hard copy, will come out a few weeks later. And but I'm really excited for this next step. You know, yeah, I'm get. I'm I'm married and. To an amazing woman and who has an amazing story herself. And it's like, we'd have to get into that another podcast, but (laughs) everything that I do on a daily basis prepared me to step into what she was going through at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being a father, I've been a part-time dad, you know, we get, I get my daughter every other weekend and half the summer and then stepping into full-time with three boys and, and, just trying to be that figure and example it's like man if i hadn't have gone through what i went through i would have no idea what to do yeah so it's like there's it's kind of funny when you get into these situations and you sit back and you're like oh that's why i went through that it's like just preparing like either you prepare yourself or the universe is going to do it for you it's better to prepare yourself first because it hurts a lot less
0: you, I want to jump back just a little bit because you said something really profound and I want our listeners especially the parents to hear this you said that you were protected but not prepared will yeah you, will you elaborate on that yeah so I, I think that's a very important
1: yeah so I, I was speaking uh, to doctors and therapists I can't even remember what the what the group was called but I got up there and I said, look, so I'll use myself as an example. I was ADHD. I couldn't sit still in class. So I got all these special privileges and my mom protected me from being bullied. She just hugged me and make me feel better. Big ears, you know, all these different things. And it's like, they just shielded me from people or shielded me from dealing, yeah. you know, playing the hand that I was dealt. It's like, Hey, you're going to have a struggle sitting still. These are some skills we need to develop. You know, obviously it was different in the eighties. We didn't have all the information we have now, but it's like, don't protect the anxiety, expose it, teach people how to deal with those things. We're yeah. overprotecting. We're allowing too much phone time, too much. You know, kids are signing out of gym class because they're embarrassed to get in their clothes. It's like you flex that muscle long enough. Their world's going to get so small yeah. that drugs, alcohol, or suicide sound pretty great. So when I said that, I said, look, we're over, we're overprotecting our kids and they're underprepared. And at that point, the whole place stood up and was like, boom,
0: Yeah, like that's it. I wanted to stand up when you said that.
1: And so it's, you know, I talk about that a lot when I go out. It's like, how many of you are ready to go to war? And they're like, what? Like you guys are 16 years old. You're two years away from being military age. Yeah. Are you even ready to step out of the house and live on your own? Like, why do you think you have chores? It's not because your parents hate you. It's to prepare you to take care of a household. Yeah. Why do they make you get up on time? Why do you like, you got to be to work. You're going to get fired. The bank doesn't care if you had a bad day, like all these things that we protect our kids from the real world doesn't care. So how better can we put them in, in these situations to do hard things when it's not going to cost them their job, their wife, yeah. their house, their life. Yeah. Like let them cry, let them fall. Let them build sketchy jumps, let them, you know, whatever it is <laughs> and walk them through it. Yeah. Go sit with them. It's like, I can't tell you how many times I'm a big fear facer as far as like when I'm working with somebody and they're like, oh, I don't like heights. I'm like, okay, we're going hiking tomorrow. We're (laughs) going to find a cliff and we're going to sit on the edge of that thing until you see the beauty and you let go of that feeling of fear. Yeah, And it's like, if we can, you don't have to go sit on a cliff for the rest of your life, but you need to be able to do anything that you're afraid of.
0: See the beauty in it versus the fear. I love that too. Um, I've, one of the principles I try to teach my clients is, what we focus on increases. Yeah. So if we focus on the fear, it's just going to magnify and mm-hmm. it's going to shut us down versus what you're saying. Let's focus on the beauty of it. Yeah. Look at the beauty out there. Therefore, now that increases versus the fear. Fair? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's like, I'm sure you've read the five second rule. Yeah. It's like you literally have that choice. Like as soon as I feel anxiety or something, I have a choice. I can think more about the feeling of it or I can ask it why it's here. Have I, I always take 10 deep breaths, ask myself if I've eaten because most of the time it's because I haven't eaten. It's crazy how much that played into my, my life. Yeah. And then what just triggered that response? And then I either go correct it Yeah. or I jot it down. And I know that next time something like that comes around that I'm going to be better prepared. But forever I was, I was fetal position could only talk to my mom at 31 years old. Like she couldn't do it. I was. A,
0: and, and you saying that people who know you probably are like, how you know, especially these kids. <laughs> yeah. That was you. Yeah. You know, they can't even probably imagine that. But but that's what I love about you you did something about that. You faced your fears, you you walked through it. The the part that really stood out to me too in your story, Rob, is I mean there's so many great things, but that you went back and you, you, you became friends with the, 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 the actual police officers that arrested you and, and again just that in itself says a lot about you right? And anyone listening to this, I mean, how beautiful that is. If there's someone in your life that you're avoiding or this and that is go face the fear and make it right. Yeah. I think there's so much power in that.
1: Yeah. There was one thing that kind of brings that up. My, my best friend committed suicide, right? A few days after my 21st birthday that he threw for me. And it was like, I met him in sixth grade, protecting him on the playground from bullies. He was tall and lanky. I was short and feisty, and and we had an amazing relationship because I could protect him at recess, and he could do my homework. He was smart. <laughs> Perfect. <team. laughs> but we developed this like almost like soulmate. I was closer to him than any male I've ever in my life. And then the day I got the call that he had gone missing – And then we found him a few days later. It was like, did he tell me he was going to do this? And I was too drunk or I blew it off. Like, what did I do wrong? And then shortly after that, I heard through the grapevine that his family held me accountable. Hmm. And uh, for 18 years, I feared seeing his family running into them, anything. And then I got really, I didn't dare call the parents. So I called the sister. I said, hey, I want to come talk to you. And I went out there and I shared a little bit about that. And she looked at me like I was an idiot. She's like, we love you. Danny was sick. Like, this has nothing to do with you. Mm. And I was like, dude, I have carried this stone for freaking 18 years of fear of being Jeez. the one. And it was like, man. And then I was like, I'm going to call the parents. I'm going to call their parents. And I never did. So I'm sitting at a wrestling tournament and I'm walking up the stairs on my phone and I look up and there's his mom and dad. And we all just started bawling. Oh wow. And I've got him tattooed right here. It says my story isn't over with his initials and, and they're pretty strict Mormon people and but we just sat and hugged and I told them the story and they're like, I am so sorry you carried that. And it was like, How much of what we feel, how much shame is even ours to carry? It's like I carried it was massive. Mm. for me every time I started getting sober I would think of that and it'd make me use again it's like all these things we did it's like at some point we got to put them down and look at it
0: yeah.
1: what got us there is it ours and so for me I can't carry anything anymore yeah it just eats me up and I know that I'm way better if I just get it out and I put it in their court and the hard part like in rehab I wrote a kind of a four-step apology to uh, my ex fiance. And it was beautiful. And then I called her and I read it on the phone. And I thought she was going to be like, oh, come back to me. She's like, is that it? I was like, yeah. She's like, don't ever call me again. I was like, what? I just apologized. Like, what are you talking about? Like, That
0: was so good, too. It, yeah.
1: And in that moment, <laughs> I remember going back and having to work through it with the group and having a pity party. and But then it was like, you know what? It's, the apology is not for me them it's just to clear the slate and allow yeah. them to react however they want yeah i can't control that but right. i can control making my wrongs right yeah so i try and live by that and you know it goes back to the book it's like i have a book to write i have 10 more after writing this one you know you just things that stories inside of the book that could be their own book Oh, for sure and i want my daughter To be proud. I want her to know her dad. I want my grandkids to know me. I want their grandkids to know me. And you know, like you said, a legacy. And that's just on a personal level, not including all the other people. And I'm sure you get the same. Get random people like, hey, you saved my life. Hey, Mm -hmm. you really changed this. I'm like, who's this? It's pretty. You know, that reminds me that people are watching. Yeah. And what what we do is it's really not even ours to keep. You know, for sure. So I love
0: what you said earlier. Live loud, right? Yeah. You know, if we don't own our story, it owns us. So let's let's share it. Yeah. Right. Um. Man. Wow. We. Could, I could talk to you all day, Rob. You're amazing. <laughs> this book is amazing. Again, go get this book. Um. We'll have the links in the show notes and all that yeah. stuff. But man, this book's gonna be all of Rob right here. I mean, all of this energy and this power and this freaking firecracker here, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. It's gonna be good, and I hope it helps a lot of people. And
0: well, you know how the old cliche, if it could save one person, but th- there's yeah. a lot of truth to that though. Yeah. Like if, if there's one kid out there that was thinking about ending their life and they read your book and they go, you know what? If I if Rob can do this, why can't I? And I'm going to follow what he's telling me to do. I mean, think about that ripple effect of that person saving their own life because what of what they read from you. Yeah. The ripple effect of that. So it's not just one life really. It just I mean it spreads out to everyone and every, uh, their whole circle of influence. And yeah. so I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think you'll save way more than one, but I'm just saying
1: Yeah. I hope you know that's that's the idea is to make this The worth of
0: souls, man, is amazing. Yeah. And it's so I don't know.
1: So, you know, men's mental health it's it's just across the board, you know. Um,
0: so I have a quote on my back wall here. I, I would love it if you'd read it to our listeners.
1: The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Pablo Picasso. Yeah. I love so, that.
0: This is you, Rob. You you have found your gift and now you're giving it away. That's what you do. You're doing this today with our listeners and followers, right? And you know, everyone's in the studio nodding. But it's true. <laughs> like it's like that's really what you do is that the but think about the price you had to pay yeah, to 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 be able to be willing to expose the gift. Yeah, there's a there's a, another quote um, by Henry David Thoreau that says, "Most men lead lives of quiet desperation." Mm. And if you think about it, our jobs, Rob, as mentors and coaches, and um, it's to expose the desperation in the person we're talking to. Yeah, and if we can expose that desperation, we can now start to heal it. We can fix it. We can move on from it. Right. Yeah. And that's really what you do, dude. And you're great at it.
1: I appreciate that. You as well. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's just a a scary thing. You know, when I go to speak or whatever, it's like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I, it's like saying, not saying anything at all is the wrong thing.
0: Yeah. Well, looking back at the beginning of this uh, episode here, I I butchered the whole uh, opening. There's a few things I was supposed to say, and I didn't. But you know what? I don't care. This is me. I'm real, and I screw up all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Feel that. So in closing, I, I would like you to talk to the one person listening to this right now who's in a dark place, who's struggling, who's not sure what to do next. What would you tell that person? And if you'd look into that camera and tell them.
1: Actually was watching a reel today on Instagram that the guy was talking about success and he is a famous actor. And he said, the only difference in the people who make it and don't make it are the ones who just keep trying. Everybody fails, Mm -hmm. whether you're religious or not. It's like, I talk to people about if you do everything you possibly can to be a good person and you get to heaven, they're like, Hey, you did this. You can't come in as a parent, you wouldn't want your kid to be around those people anyways. So I think letting the pressure down, learning more about yourself, what, what got you, where you're at, who you need on your team to get you out. I think too many people isolate when they just need to reach out. If that's the white flag and you have one ounce left in you, just reach out to the right people. And I say right people, because a lot of times we want to impress our families or we want our mom and dad to give us that attaboy when really maybe they don't understand it maybe they're struggling so understanding who to reach out to is important find the resources but you are worth it i've got the shirt it says warrior and on the back it says you are enough and you absolutely are
0: yeah wow beautifully said rob you are a warrior and i'm grateful to know you grateful to call you a friend Thanks for doing this again. I think this is your third or fourth time on the show. Yeah, I appreciate
1: (laughs) it. So I was telling telling my wife on the way up here. I said, I've met a lot of people, but you're the only person I've ever asked to mentor me. Wow! And there's just something about you that touches my soul, and I feel your energy every time we come in and what you're doing. And I just you're you're very inspiring to me. And for me, that's pretty hard to be inspired because of how we live, Mm -hmm. and we're out doing all the things that or on the memes on instagram and all that it's like (laughs) i live that yeah but to find another man who i can have as a friend like you is amazing wow so i love and appreciate you
0: love you too thank you so much you just made my day thank you so (laughs) much well you know what that was beautiful guys um there you go rob eastman he truly is the warrior in the garden check go get his book Share it with your family and friends. Tell them to get the book. If you have a family member who's struggling, get them the book because I promise you it's gonna to touch their soul. And and that's what they need, especially in their darkest moment. And so we'll have the links in the show notes. You'll be able to link right to it and get this book. Uh, we're gonna help Rob get to a bestseller. That is our goal because so many people need to hear this. And I can't thank you enough. Uh, what I failed to mention in the beginning is I wanna thank my sponsors. Uh, <laughs> Siegfried and Jensen, Wasatch Recovery and Thread Wallets. You guys, thank you for believing in me. Uh, It means the world to me. And uh, thanks for all all of you tuning in. I mean, tell me this wasn't amazing. If you didn't feel something in this, I don't know what to tell you because I promise you, you did. This is so cool. First time in this studio where we're filming things, and I couldn't have a better guest to kick this off with than Rob. So
1: I appreciate that. Thank you for your time, my friend. Thanks for having me on. September 27th. It's $1.99 for the first 24 hours, so you can buy a whole bunch and send them out to people that you love. It's a great read. It'll definitely touch in and your inner child and kind of take you through this wild up-and-down roller coaster and, and end with some love and passion.
0: Beautiful. Well, like Rob said, you're enough. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, love you guys.